talking significantly about God's generosity to us uh, in, th- in and through His grace. Like, we, we would be remiss to not do that. And so this morning, that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. We're going to talk a lot about grace. So if, you, if you're taking notes and you wanted to jot down a title for this morning's message, I just simply called it, We All Need a Fresh Start. We all need a fresh start. You do, I do, in case you're wondering, yes, you do. Uh, We all need a fresh start, and grace is really at the heart of all of that, and grace is what enables and makes that all possible. Now, we just spent some time kind of passing the peace to one another, the peace of Christ and lovely peace of Christ. It's only God's grace that makes that possible for us, and it's only by God's grace that we can actually know the love of God, and I wonder if this morning we need a fresh um, experience, a fresh revelation of God's love for us, that God actually genuinely loves us. Maybe someone here this morning, you just need to know, you are truly loved. You are genuinely loved, like not just like kind of loved, but like really loved, you know what I mean? Like really loved. And the kind of love that I'm talking about is that unconditional, unending, nothing that you, you know, that kind of love. That, and, and the best part about it is it's, there's nothing you can do about it, right? It's that love of our glorious Savior, Jesus, and we see it displayed so fully in Christ's death and His burial and His resurrection. This kind of love that's absolutely transformational, the kind of love that we talk about when we talk about uh, the story of our church in John chapter 4. And here's the, here's, the, here's the good news about it, is that kind of love, this might be shocking for some of you, it actually doesn't have anything to do with you. It's not about you. It's not dependent on you. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. It's not about you. This love is all based on Him. And I appreciate the affirmation. We can get more of that this morning. I'm going to preach. Is that all right? I'm going to preach. So, Connor, you can, you can give the encouragement. That'd be good. Um, uh, you know, this, this might be hard for some of us to comprehend, though, right? Because you look at your own life and you know just how messed up you really are. And I look at my own life and I know just how messed up I really am. And you go, man, all the mistakes I've made and the regrets and all the failings and all that stuff. And so this idea of God loving us just the way we are can be a little bit to wrap our minds around and a little bit to really get our, our, our heads around. But can I just tell you this morning that He does. He genuinely loves you just the way you are, but He loves you so much that He doesn't want to leave you the way you are in that state of messed upness. He wants to move you on, and that's the work of grace. It's God's grace that moves us on, keeps pushing us forward. This love is so incredibly powerful and unending, and this love, you know, we use it all the time in church, this word grace. It's made possible by grace. Maybe you've heard the song, maybe you haven't, it's okay if you haven't, that famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, or a messed up one like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's the transformational power of God's grace at work in someone's life. A real person wrote those words. A real person hundreds of years ago by the name of John Newton. He was actually a slave trader. He, you know, selling people. He was a slave trader, but he came smack dab up against the grace of God in his life, and it so transformed him that he wrote these words that we continue to sing to this day. Amazing grace, right? Singing this hymn that, I mean, there's something so amazing about grace, isn't there? We get to go on and and we will talk more about how amazing God's grace really is. But I wonder if there's actually something like, I'm not quite sure how to say this, but I kind of at times wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a problem with grace. You know, I almost feel bad saying that. Like, like, can you you actually say that? Like, even in church? 
Um, but, but here's the problem. Let me explain it. Let's see, see if this connects with you. I wonder if the, the, maybe the problem I have with grace is that God's grace is so powerful and so transformational that when we experience God's grace in our lives, God does such a good job of changing us and transforming us and cleaning us up that when other people look at us, they go, well, that person doesn't know the hardships of life. That person's not experienced any of real life. That person's not messed up. That person's not, right? I mean, some people look at people in church and they look around and they go, but, but it's just not true, is it? It's just testimony to God's grace. It's God's grace at work in our lives because here's the truth. Maybe you're sitting there and if you really knew the truth about the person that you're sitting next to, you might want to change rows. You might want to hold your purse a wee bit closer, right? Because we are messed up, but it's the transformational power of God's grace in our lives that allows us to be different people, changed and transformed. And that's the work of grace inside of us. We're no different. We're all messed up. We've all experienced pain and hardship and suffering and the bottom falling out of life. We have, but by the grace of God, it's God's grace that holds us and carries us through. Amen? Come on. Told you I was going to preach. I'm going to need the encouragement. My voice is going to run out. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I think, I think there's, that's something true for all of us, that, that actually if God's grace didn't show up in our lives, man, where would we be without His grace? And this is the grace of God. It cleanses us, and it's not based on us. It's got very little to do with us. It's all based on Him and in Him. And so as I've been thinking about God's grace, and we're going to talk about grace I've also been thinking a lot, you know, I loved watching the, the babies up here this morning. It wasn't just the kids dancing with ribbons, it was the babies like using the, the stage as like something to pull up on and stand up on, you know. And we've got a ton of babies around here uh, in our church, in case you haven't noticed. A ton of babies is great. But babies are weird, right? <laughs> they do weird things to us, right? I mean, think about it. You've got these grown, some would say mature adults who reorient their entire lives around this little creature who brings nothing to the table. (laughs) Completely dependent. This darling little thing that we love so dearly does nothing for us, right? Can't even say your own name. Can't even call your mum and dad at first, right? It can't do any dishes, can't take the rubbish out, you know, can't, can't contribute to the finances, you know, not help them pay any bills. And they are just completely dependent. They just take, 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 take. They take your sleep. They take your love. Come on, parents. They take, right? I mean, what? A, they take, they take, they take, right? They don't contribute anything. And I think this is the truth of all of us when it comes to grace. We are like helpless babies, we can bring nothing to God. We can give nothing to Him, and He doesn't need it anyways. And yet He gives, and He gives, and He gives. And in the words of Paul in Colossians, he says, God lavishes His grace upon us. That's who God is. That's how He lives. And so, this morning... I want us to spend some time talking about what the grace of God does. And and I've got a few verses I want us to look at, and we're going to layer. So I need you to just kind of stay with me, and we're going to layer, and we're going to build, and the point's going to come rather late in the message, okay? So just, you know, adult learners who like to know where we're heading, you know, um, I'm intentionally going to leave the, the, the real point for the end, okay? So we're going to build, we're going to layer, it's going to make sense, hopefully, 
if I do my job well, <laughs> it'll make sense when we get there at the end, okay? So stick with me, all right? Pay attention. We're starting in Romans chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this classic text where Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His love for us, that unending, unfailing, you know, you can't do anything about it kind of love. He demonstrates it by dying for us while we're still sinners, not when we got all cleaned up and sorted our lives out and sorted ourselves out and, you know, like did something to earn it. No, 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 no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in, in, if you go, if you flip back two chapters into Romans chapter 3, again, maybe you're familiar with this verse where Paul writes, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, sometimes we don't, we don't read this one, but all are justified freely by His grace. By His what? Thank you. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, if you've been around church for some time, you might have learned this as well, but when I was in Sunday school, we learned this acronym that helped us understand what grace really is about. Anyone heard this one? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Anyone heard that? A few people, I'm seeing a few nods around. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. This is why we talk about generosity as being something modeled within God's very nature. Because He gave. It's at Christ's expense that we can experience grace, that we can know that grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And you and I, we're walking in and we're living in grace and this love and change and transformation. We can know the goodness and love and joy that comes from God be- only because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you're taking notes, maybe you jot this one down. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses 8 and 9, Paul writes again, he says, Um, He's talking about a thorn in the flesh, basically this irritation in the spirit that was bothering him and like really kind of, he's getting angsty and he goes, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done. His grace is sufficient, more than enough. You know, all these verses I've read to you have come from, written by men uh, that some theologians would call the Apostle of Grace, the Apostle Paul. His name, you know, and, and the Apostle Paul, he wrote Romans, he wrote Corinthians, he wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, right? And, and, and this guy used the word grace in his writings, he used the word grace a hundred times throughout all of his New Testament writings. Now, if you combine the number of times that all the other New Testament writers collectively use the word grace, it only comes out at 55. So, like, all the other New Testament writers collectively use the word grace, maybe, like, almost half of what the Apostle Paul did. And, like, like this guy is, like, so caught up, persuaded by, influenced by, captured by, passionate about grace. It's become, it's like a life message for him, right? This idea of grace, he has this passion, zeal to lean in towards grace. But why would he do that? We've got to ask ourselves, right? Like, why would he have that kind of passion? Why would he write about grace over and over again, intertwine it and just weave it in through everything that he writes and teaches? Of course, we know he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and this is a message that God wants to get out and God wants to be known. But why would this mean so much to him? You ever thought about that? I reckon it's because of his past. 
I think it has a lot to do with who he was and where he came from. I think, uh, you know, you, you know his name? He wasn't, he wasn't originally named Paul, by the way. That's not the name his mum gave him. He was named Saul, with an S. Just switch out the first letter of his name, right? And if you read in Acts chapter 7, the very end of Acts chapter 7, you get this story whereby Stephen, one of the early church leaders, is being stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. Being stoned to death uh, by the religious leaders and the Pharisees because he was, you know, in their minds, he was blaspheming and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, the first, he's, he's known as the first Christian martyr, first person to die for their faith in Jesus, um, being stoned to death. Uh, and the Scriptures tell us in verses 58 and in 60 that they handed their cloaks, their outer garments, to this guy who was standing to, by the side, guy by the name of Saul, in the end of Acts chapter 7, right? And it says that Saul was there holding the jackets, and in chapter 8, like right on the heels of this, in, in verse 1, it says that Saul approved, and Saul approved of their killing him, you know? So it tells us that his Saul, he's a Pharisee, he's standing by while this is taking place, first Christian martyr, and he's endorsing it, he's confirming it, he's saying, yeah, this is good, he's approving of what's happening, and you look down at just in verse 3, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, you see the Apostle Paul, who is still Saul at this time, is going from house to house, he's grabbing Christians and dragging them out of their home, you see, house to house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison, see that in verse 3? I mean, it gives us this detail that he's literally going in, dragging people out of their homes, men and women, and, and he's persecuting the church vigorously. I mean, this guy's like full-out gangster. You know, he's got an axe to grind, he's got a point to make, he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's got a real edge to him. You, you can see it, right? Pretty gnarly dude. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 9, and look at this verse in the beginning of Acts chapter 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now, this is, this is so much more than just like, you know, the worst Twitter troll or whatever, you know, like someone who's like just kind of throwing shade on your latest Insta post or whatever, you know, like that Mr. Negative who always shows up in the comments and, you know, it's not that kind of thing. This is like murderous threats, like proper, genuine anger. Like this is, this is beyond any hater that you've ever had. And, and he's got, he just keeps on going being um, about all this. He's coming after the Lord's disciples. And let me show you just how committed he is to stomping out this thing they call the way, what we would now call Christianity. In the early church, they called the way, the way of following Jesus. That's what it was known as, being a follower of Jesus, was a follower of the way. And this is how passionate he was. Take a look at this map. See, there's Jerusalem down the bottom, and then you follow the red line. This would have been the journey up to Damascus that he would have taken. A journey that was somewhere between 220, 240 kilometers. Not a short little oh, let's slip out there for the afternoon kind of a trip. No, this is a big trip. And there's no Tesla, there's no... Oh, you don't drive a Tesla anyways, there's no Toyota, you know, there's no, um, there's, no, there's no Airbnbs along the way for you to stop off and enjoy, right? I mean, this guy was so adamant that he wanted to stomp out Christianity that he was willing to hop on a donkey or whatever kind of means of transport he could and journey for over a week to get there, right? in order to kill and imprison Christians. And you can imagine, it says that he was still breathing out murderous threats, right? You can imagine his 
taken this journey, like over a week, some, some say it might have even taken two weeks, to journey up there to, to Damascus. And he's on his way and he's probably talking all this rubbish along the way. He's like, I can't believe these Christians. You know, I can't believe these people who belong to the way and I'm going to kill them. I know what's right. I know who the true God is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that. You know, you can imagine him just kind of like, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad. And then Jesus steps in. And right before he gets to Damascus, Jesus shows up and has this huge encounter with Saul big vision. And Jesus says, hey, Saul, 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 calls his name twice. I don't think it's because Saul was hard of hearing. I think it was maybe because Saul was actually hard of heart. Maybe like some of us. Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. He goes on to say that Saul is struck with blindness and he can't see. And so the servant, the man who's traveling with him, has to lead him into Damascus. And then Saul's sitting there in Damascus, sitting at some guy's house and he's blind and he's praying and trying to figure out what on earth is going on because he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was going the right way. He thought he was making the right decisions. But then, but then Jesus says, no, 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 Saul, I love you so much and I know that you think you're doing the right thing, but I've got to step in right here. I've got to stop you in your tracks. I've got to intervene because if I don't stop you here, then you're not going to fulfill the plan and purpose and destiny that I have for you. Come on, someone needs to hear that today, right? I'm so thankful, friends, that we have a Savior who will always step in when we need Him will always stop us right in our tracks. Even when we think we're going the right way, we have a Savior who will step in and intervene and, 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 and say, no, 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 you're going to miss your purpose. You're going to miss your destiny. You're going to miss the plan I have for your life. And so now Saul, he's sitting here blind and says he can't see for three whole days. And the Lord goes and talks to this other guy in the church, a guy by the name of Ananias, and he says, hey, Ananias, go on over there. Go and uh, talk to Saul. I want you to pray for him. And Ananias is like, uh-uh, no way, I ain't doing that. I mean, this dude came here to kill us, to throw us in prison. I'm not going anywhere near him, you know? Uh, and Jesus is like, no, 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 come on, get up, off you go, you got to do this. And so he goes over there and he prays for him. And, and, the, and the scriptures say that scales fell from Saul's eyes. And look at this in Acts chapter 9, it says, verse 18, you know, scales fell from his eyes. He got up, he got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days in the, with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, come on. Talk about a transformation, right? Here's this guy, flat out persecuting and killing followers of Jesus, now turns around and he's standing up and preaching Jesus to everyone in the same place. I mean, that's radical change and transformation, right? That's a big deal. And so he's in Damascus, he does this for a little while, and then, and then it says he goes back down to Jerusalem. So later on in, in Acts chapter 9, you see in verse 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. You can't blame him, right? When he left, he was breathing out murderous threats. When he left, he was asking the high priest for endorsement to go and kill and imprison Christians up the road in Damascus, right? That's, that's the Saul who left them. Now he's coming back, he's saying, hey, I want to join you guys. 
you'd be thinking like, no, nah, no, nah, this is a trick, this is a setup, eh? Surely, this can't be legit, this can't be real, come on. Verse 27, but Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I mean, but he told them, you know, hey, Saul had this encounter with the Lord. God stopped him in his tracks. God blinded him. Powerful experience. You know, God rescued him, redeemed him. He was baptized. The men completely transformed. You should have seen what God did in Damascus through this guy as he started preaching. You know, Barnabas is basically vouching for Saul before the church leaders down in Jerusalem. And, 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 and they're like, yeah. I don't know, man. But in the end, right, I mean, Barnabas steps up. He says all these things about Saul. He vouches for him, lends his credibility, all this kind of stuff. And then uh, you see the change and transformation. Basically, the Scriptures say that they were all like, okay, cool. What? That's a big shift, right? Like, they're all, they're all cool with Barnabas? Like, all of a sudden, like, would that be enough for you? Like, be honest. We have to ask the question, well, man, who's Barnabas? Who's this guy? What kind of credibility does he carry? Why would he have so much influence in the lives of those that were gathered around in Jerusalem? Well, like, why would he have this much pull? And they, he speaks up and he talks to them, you know, and the disciples are all like, okay, cool, we'll take your word for it, Barnabas. Here, we're getting to it now. Here's what blew me away. Is if you flip back a couple of chapters into Acts, you see Acts chapter 4, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called, who? Barnabas. Which, by the way, means son of encouragement. This guy, Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, some of you are like, okay, what does that mean? First off, Barnabas's name He's, he's not Barnabas. His, first, his actual name is Joseph. That's the name his mum gave him. It was Joseph. And they changed his name to Son of Encouragement. Like Saul was changed to Paul. Joseph was changed to Barnabas. Why do you think that is? Because this guy Joseph was hanging out around all the disciples in Jerusalem and they began to experience him. They began to witness his life. They began to know who he was and they were like, he's so encouraging. He's such a Barnabas. It almost became like a nickname, right? That began to get, get some traction. It just kind of lived, right? I mean, and, and, you know, he's always here encouraging everybody. He's always here speaking life to everybody. He's always here instilling hope into people's souls. He's always here lifting the room. He's always here reminding people of the plans and the purposes of God. He's always here saying, hey, God is with you and he is for you. He's always here telling someone, hey, giving them encouragement, right? This is who Barnabas is. That's how they experience him. And so they're like, man, we we know your mom called you Joseph, but we're going to call you Barnabas, right? Son of encouragement. He's such a life-giving encourager that the disciples are like, man, we've got to change your name completely. And then this guy, it seems, is not just an encourager, but he's also like incredibly generous. I mean, look, maybe he's like modern-day equivalent of like a property developer or something. We don't know. We know that he owns some property. He owns some land and he sold it and he brought it put it before the apostles' feet. Maybe he owned multiple parcels of land, we don't know. Maybe he owned just this one, we, we don't know. What we do know is what he had, he sold, 
And he came and laid it before the apostles, gave it to God in order to further the good news of the gospel, to further God's kingdom plans and purposes. So here's the point. You want to know why Barnabas had such influence with the disciples? I think it's because Barnabas was a man of encouragement and a man of generosity. And generosity and encouragement, I find, always opens doors for grace. Always does, right? So not only does um, encouragement and generosity open the doors, I need you to see this, right? That the message that the Apostle Paul ended up preaching, this message of grace, this Apostle of grace, perhaps it may never have resulted if it wasn't for Barnabas, who went before. If it wasn't for Barnabas, this son of encouragement, full of generosity and encouragement, opening the way for grace into Paul's life, you know, we may not have. We, the gospel that we hear and we celebrate in the scriptures that we read and this beautiful love story of God's divine favor and empowerment to us is in part, I think, standing on the pillars of encouragement and generosity. And so I'll submit to you this. I think generosity and encouragement made a way for grace. Think about Paul's life. You read through the rest of Acts, you read through the rest of the New Testament, Paul's journey from place to place to place, bringing the message of grace, the good news of the gospel. And I think if we want to continue to see that kind of thing happening in our world today, I submit that encouragement and generosity will still need to be those pillars. Perhaps there'd be no soul turned to Paul who got the message out if Barnabas wasn't willing to encourage and be generous, speak words of life, and to sell his field and bring the money to forward the advancement of God's kingdom. And that made a way for grace. So this is what I would say, you know, generosity and encouragement made a way for grace, and I think generosity and encouragement are still making the way for grace today. It's not just, this isn't true just in the New Testament. I think this is true today, here and now, in and through our lives. And we'd say things like, man, I want, I want more grace in our world, because you look around and you go, and our world's pretty messed up, pretty messed up, right? There's a lot of hurt and brokenness. There's a lot of people doing it tough, doing it tough, living without hope, without meaning. They need grace. You look around our world, I don't know about you, but I look around and I go, man, we need grace. We need, we need bucket loads of grace. We need grace for days, you know? I, I look around and I go, I want to see more and more people come to know Jesus. I want to see marriages that are restored. I want to see single people understanding their call and their purpose and living fully in their identity. And I want to see more young people formed fully into the character of Jesus. And I want to see, you know, these issues of injustice and racism and sexism and, and all the different things. I want to see those just pushed aside and, and torn down in Jesus' name. I, I, I want to see, you know, and I think God's saying, look, I've got grace for days. Can I find a church that's got generosity and encouragement for days? And let's see what might happen. Here's the beautiful thing about you, church, here at the well. This is true of who you are. This is true of who we are. This is, this, this is in our DNA right from the very beginning. If you're new to this place and you're trying to figure out who we are and how we do things around here, let me, just, let me just tell you, we are a church that believes fully in the goodness and the grace of God to change people's lives. And we want to make that as available and ready to anyone and everyone we can. Every man, woman, and child throughout our city, throughout our region, across Aotearoa and beyond. We want to see the grace of God made known 
in real ways, you know? And, and, and I believe that God's also put a calling on our church to be kind of like a Barnabas role in that, that we would be a place where we say, no, out of generosity, our generosity, out of encouragement and our encouragement, we'll see God open the way for His grace to flow. This is part of how we came into existence. You know that? Any grace that you've experienced through being part of our church here at the well, in part is built on the pillars and the foundations of past people's generosity and encouragement. You know that? That's actually true. People in the past, out of their generosity, out of their encouragement, have opened the way for you to experience and receive grace. Whatever form that's taken in your time here at, at, at the well. That's part of our story over and over again. And, and so, you know, um, this, is, this is part of who we are. And, and we'll talk, I'll, I'll share a couple of specific examples about that. But I, before we do, let me, let me just say, if we want to actually live into this, we need to embody it and make it really practical, right? So let's start individually and personally, like encouragement and generosity. You know what? Let's start encouraging more. It's pretty countercultural, I know. It's not the Kiwi way, is it? You know? We're not, we're not real good at it, you know, but, but you know what, I think, I think, like, maybe some of you are sitting there, and if you're feeling anything like, like me, you're like, you know what, encouragement doesn't show up in my top five strengths, Clint. So, I don't know if I'm going to be very good at it. So, and we excuse ourselves out of it, right? And I just wonder if God's got grace for days, and He's saying, no, 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 it doesn't matter whether you're good at it or not, you're overthinking it. Come on, don't overplay it, just say something nice. It's that simple, right? Say something nice. If, you, if you're like me and it's not your natural instinct, I'll own it, it's not. If it's, if it's not your natural instinct, maybe you need some support and some structure around it. So set a daily reminder on your phone. Ding, when the beep goes off, send that encouraging text. I can guarantee whoever you're sending it to, they won't mind that you had to have a reminder to tell you to do it right? Husbands, you send that encouraging text to your wives. Wives, can I say, you wouldn't mind that it was prompted by a reminder? Is that all right? I'm checking my, my wife over here, like, no, 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 it's all good, it's all good. You know, like wives, for your husbands, parents, for your children, flatmates, you know, for, for your flatties, you know, for, for your colleagues at work, for your, for your friends down the road, for your neighbor across the fence, for, you know, the other people on the sporting team or whatever, like, just say something nice. Be a Barnabas, Always around encouraging everyone. Always speaking words of life and hope and blessing. You know? Man, I think we're like starved on encouragement, if I'm honest, in our culture. I think we're encouragement starved. What a blessing we could be. That smells like the kingdom of God to me. And the other one is giving. Let's be generous. And again, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not, you know, like, uh, oh, it's not in my spiritual gifts, Clint. Oh, it's not, you know. Like, uh, everyone can give something with your time, with your skills, the unique ways that God's gifted you and wired you, and with your money. Everyone can give something. Be generous. And some of us have to, have to make it automatic. And, you know, whereby, you know I, know, I know a bunch of people, like, whereby, you know, like, as soon as you get paid, um, we try and do this to the best of our ability in our family, whereby as soon as, as soon as the money hits our account, the first money that goes out of our account after getting paid is, the fir- is given first to God. We give first to God. 
We prioritize it. We make it automatic. So, so a lot of people set up their APs to go the same day they get paid. You know what I mean? Uh, which, which I love that kind of principle of saying, no, no, I'm just going to automate this and make it automatic. Make it every time because I want to be committed to growing in this grace of giving and becoming a generous person. Why? Not because God needs it. Not because the church needs it necessarily, right? But actually because generosity and encouragement open the way for grace into the lives of others. That's what we want to see happen. That's what we want to see happen. The message of God's grace reaches people on the pillars of generosity and encouragement. I said, this is true for you if you've been part of our church. And we've shared a few stories over the last couple of weeks around how this is true, but I want to share another one for you that maybe you haven't heard this morning. Our church, when we first started, over 10 years ago now, we had a bunch of people helping encourage and give generously to make it possible for us to get started. We had supporters around New Zealand who gave and a lot of people from around the world, Australia, the US, Canada, different places, giving incredibly generously. And you might be sitting there going, oh yeah, some rich churches in America gave some money. No, 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 no. We only had a handful of churches giving. We had a lot of individuals normal people, couples and families who gave sacrificially above and beyond their regular giving to their own churches because they believed in wanting to see the grace extended here in Ototahi through a church called The Well. They believed in that, what God was doing and they wanted to support it and bless it and so they did and they gave. But there's one guy here locally in Christchurch, old guy, he's late 80s now, guy by the name of Keith. And when we got here and Keith started hearing about our church, and, and Keith, Keith's like lived a life of generosity, by the way. You know, in 1988, he, he and his wife decided, um, you know, built a business here and, and, and was fairly well-to-do. And his wife decided they wanted to do an overseas holiday, um, but not just kind of like a go and, you know, live it up and, you know, resort and luxury thing. They wanted to go do something meaningful. And so they went to Bangladesh with World Vision. And they partnered there with World Vision on a project and they saw, oh, there's this water project happening where in this village where they had no access to clean water, World Vision were helping to bring clean water into the the village and they saw all these children and and families who who didn't have access to clean water and the waterborne illnesses, you know, like all those sicknesses and stuff from, from not having access to clean water was just too many kids dying, too many, you know, like all those issues. And so the water issue was already been taken care of, and yet Keith and, Keith and his wife were like, nah, we need to do something here, we still want to play a part. And so what they did was, they donated 50 of those pedal sewing machines um, to so, so particularly the women in that community, and they started their own business, and they started making clothes and fabrics and all this stuff, and started exporting these things. And within 18 months, those 50 sewing machines ended up employing 600 women who were like exporting and sending these goods all over, the, all over the world. An amazing story, you know. But Keith came back and he was like, man, that water issue is a big deal. It's a big deal for people. And he wanted to see, you know, people impacted by that. And so he committed to doing these water projects. And so from 1988 until to this day, he's, he's been involved in over 350 
water projects around the world, mostly in Africa, 18 different countries, I think, but mostly in Africa, bringing clean water to villages and, and places all around. And, and just remarkable story. And again, for him, this was generosity. And, and, and then it, it, that wasn't enough. So he went from sewing machines to water projects to going, actually, these people, yes, they've got clean water now in their village. And, and we're seeing the health impact kind of level out a little bit more, you know. And, and he says, but yet these kids, they're not having access to education. And so I think he's built like two schools in Tanzania now, you know, through supporting and helping make this possible and, 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 and like just amazing, you know, commitment to seeing. And, and through all of this, he's praying regularly, God, through this generosity, would it open the gateways to your grace being made known over and over again to young people, to children. He's partnering with churches in those local communities and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and his encouragement all the way through was always speaking of wanting to see children in particular experience good health with the access to clean water and grow and develop through access to learning and education and, 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 uh, and, and all of that and then continually praying that they would come to know Jesus. Well, back home here in Christchurch, Keith, told me, Clint, when uh, the world needs a building, you let me know. And so I did. And Keith gave incredibly generously to this property that we sit in and we call home. Um, he gave, when we purchased the property, a one-off gift that was huge, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He then, when we had to do the renovation, through one of his trusts, gave an interest-free loan that over the next three or four years, he helped pay down that interest-free loan as well. Keith has given over half a million dollars towards this property that we sit in today, here in Christchurch. But he doesn't come to our church. Incredibly generous, but he doesn't come to our church. Here's the story. Keith says, I love what you're doing, I believe in what you're doing, and I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. But I'm not going to come to your church, Clint, because I really love to sing my hymns to an organ. I prefer a more traditional style service. God bless him. He's like, I don't think you should have hymns with an organ at your church, Clint, because you need to be reaching younger people and you need to be forming people more deeply and, and I know that's not going to connect with them and that's not the right tra tra track or trajectory, but I endorse and support fully. He was like a Barnabas, right? Incredible generosity and all this money and, and then saying, but keep doing what you're doing. Don't let up. It's going to make the grace of God available more fully to each and every one of you. Don't change things just for me and my preferences, I can get those elsewhere. I believe in what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And just keep, you know, come on, right? Praise God for people like that. Encouragement and generosity. And on those pillars of generosity and encouragement, I think the message of God's grace has gone forward and continues to go forward through us. And my hope and prayer, church, is that as we stand on the shoulders of people like Keith, that we would lean into and carry forward this legacy that we've been entrusted to. Hold, be bearers of, to live fully into. Amen? That we be people of generosity and encouragement because we know God's got grace for days. He longs to lavish His grace upon our world, upon our region. He's just looking for a church who will stand up and say, I've got encouragement and I've got generosity for days. And so I invite you, let's, let's take a moment and pray. We get on into a time of responding to God's Word together. And so let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Jesus, I pray 
over every man and woman and child who is part of our beautiful church family here at the well. I pray that your grace would overflow to them and would overflow through them and that it would ride on the wings of generosity and encouragement. Lord, I pray, I thank you for those who have modeled that for us. Ultimately, your son Jesus, God, that you've done this for us. Incredible encouragement, incredible generosity. For those who have gone before us, and modeled that for us in our church today. And Lord, for those who are part of our church today, who are people full of encouragement, full of generosity, God, we give you praise, we give you thanks, because we know it's only a work of your grace in their lives. And so as you're sitting there and you're reflecting on God's Word to you today, I wonder how many of you, you want, you hear, you hear me talking, you go, man, I want that Barnabas spirit. I want to be like that guy. I want to be generous. I want to be encouragement. And I want it to open the way for grace to flow into the lives of other people. If you want that to flow in and through your life today and you're saying, yes, God's doing something inside of me, I want to encourage you right where you are. Will you just raise your hand? Raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for right where you are. Yep, the hands across the room. God's, God's doing this. Um, I, hope, I, you know, I was praying and hoping that every hand would go up. But this would be true of everyone. And so, Lord, I thank you for um, these people, for a church that's full of believing the best that you a church that's full of faith and, and, and we want to lift high the name of Jesus everywhere we go. God, thank you that in our communities, day after day after day, we get to carry that good news of Jesus, that we get to meet needs, God, and in the ways that we get to partner with local ministries and organizations and in order to bring healing and bring hope and life and love and grace. Lord, thank you for all the people through this church and around the world that are coming to know your son, Jesus, because of the encouragement because of the generosity flowing from this church and from churches everywhere around the world. God, your family. And so God, in a dark world with so much negativity and criticism and toxicity and all that's going on, Lord, I thank you for the light that shines brightly in the darkness. Lord, I pray you increase the intensity of our light here. God, may we be people of hope and of grace and encouragement. And God, let us grow in generosity, knowing that it truly is more blessed to give than it is to receive. God, in a skeptical world when maybe, maybe people doubt even the motives of Christians, Lord, I pray that we would have the faith and the courage, the generosity, maybe if it's just symbolically to sell whatever we have and come bearing gifts, that we bring gifts of grace, gifts of generosity that we would say, that, that people around would let go of their skepticism. Ah, there's something different about these people. There's something different, God, that they would see that we've been changed by your grace and that you would make us agents of grace through encouragement and through generosity today. And I'm conscious that we've talked this morning a lot about the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and that we're not saved, we're never made right with God out of our own works, our own efforts, um, but we can't, we can't, we can't. We're only made right with God by grace, the grace of God, through faith in Jesus. God's riches, His goodness, God's riches at Christ's expense. What does this mean? The reality is really simple. We acknowledge that we're all messed up. We've all sinned. We've all done things we're ashamed of. And we know it. We feel it. We feel guilty internally. What does that mean? We've sinned against God. We've sinned against His holiness. And we know it. And the good news is that God, in His love and in His mercy, because of His grace, became one of us in the person of Jesus. God, in the flesh, Jesus was holy and perfect without sin and became the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He died in our place, in our place. 
and God raised him from the dead. And the good news is when we talk about grace, when we, when we call on the name of Jesus, this is grace, that all of our sins, everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven by God and we are made new. The old is gone and everything becomes new. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning that you're wondering why you're even here this morning. You recognize you need God's grace and maybe this is exactly why you're here. Maybe this is the moment. This is why you're sitting here this morning because you recognize you need His forgiveness. And so what we're going to do, we're going to call on the name of Jesus. And the Scriptures tell us when we do, He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers and, and the heavens open up and your sins are forgiven and you are made new. And so all over this room today, I want to just give an invitation. If that's you, if you're saying, I need Jesus, I need His grace, I need Him to forgive me of my sins, and today is the day. That's why I'm here. I want to surrender my life to you. If that's you, and you want to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life, that's your prayer, you want to surrender your life to Jesus, like, like before, I just want to encourage you, lift your hands. If that's true of you this morning, if you, if you want to say, yes, that's true of me, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today, I want to invite you to lift your hands, and we give God praise for that. And for those of you today who are saying yes to the grace of Jesus, I invite you just to, to pray this with me. Let's pray, to, pray, this, pray this with me in, in your own mind, in your own heart. Just pray, Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. Save me, Jesus. Make me brand new. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. Thank you for your grace. Change me. Make me an encourager. Make me generous in every way to show people your grace and that I have been made new. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.